0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. God's with us whatever the situation. Sometimes it's hard to remember. And sometimes when we're confronted, we need to be bold, right? We need to be bold and Speak the word of God, regardless of the situation, and we have been keeping that in front of us all year, to be bold, to be bold for the Lord, to speak his word regardless. And let's remind ourselves of the prayer. It's from Acts chapter four. And the prayer is this. Pray it with me. Lord, enable your servants... To speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter where we're at, we can speak God's word. We need to get it inside us, keep it in us. It's a, a great encouragement. For the past number of weeks, we've talked about a man who endured much suffering, but through his life and his experience and his example, we could find application and blessing. The man, his name was Job, and his suffering came upon him without any notice at all. Life was going along very well for the man. And then suddenly, no warning at all, everything gone. And there was much for us to learn from how he responded and his experience in that suffering. And this morning, I want to consider another man who endured suffering, a man who experienced, like Job, everything that in his life come crashing down. But in the case of this individual we're gonna talk about this morning, he made some deliberate decisions. Unlike Job, who was honoring God in his life, this man made some decisions to defy God, and it had consequences. Now, we can find application from this man's experience too. His name is Jonah, of course, no surprise if you picked up a bulletin this morning. And if you look on the back of your bulletin this morning, you'll see that we have a reading plan. We've been reading through the Bible together as a church. We did this last year, last year, every single Sunday. Our message focused on a reading from the week. We haven't done that this year, but we are going to do that for the summer, and this Sunday we begin, and this Sunday's reading is all about this man and his experience, and his name is Jonah. We're going to be connecting every week with the reading plan, so get back in the plan if you haven't been on it. It's published on the back of your bulletin. You can find it online at yourbcc.org. And I want you to know this too, next Sunday as we begin Community in the Word on Sunday mornings where all of our classes come together in the dining room and everyone's invited, even if you haven't made Sunday morning at 9 a.m. part of your week, be here. It's a great time to discuss the Word of God and we are going to be having discussions based on the weekly reading. So you already know Because you have a bulletin in your hand, what we're going to be discussing next week, at least some of the areas. You'll see that we're going to be in Isaiah, we're going to be in Amos. These are contemporaries with this prophet Jonah who we're talking about this morning. So get on the plan, be a part of it. We had a fantastic time last year in Community in the Word. People were raving about it. Bring your family, it's a great time to discuss God's word, get it inside you, and then you know what you can do? You can go outside these walls and speak the word with great boldness. So be a part of it. This morning, we're in Jonah. It's four short chapters, and you may not have had the chance to read Jonah this morning if you've not been really following the plan. So by way of introduction, I wanna give you a little bit about the man And then just a brief primer of the book. So let's consider where Jonah is first talked about in the Bible. And that's not in the book of Jonah. It's in the book of 2 Kings. So I'm gonna read that to you. It's 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 27 that give us a little bit of insight into this man's life. And it reads this way. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. So I stop right there just to say, Israel had been split in two, and the kings are being identified as either from the south in Judah, or the north in Samaria, where the capital was, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. Now verse 24. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. There's a lot of names and people here. We get a little insight about person we're focusing on this morning, Jonah. He's the same Jonah, son of Amittai, that's introduced in the book of Jonah. That's Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So this is the same man. We learn from this reference in 2 Kings that we just read that he was a known prophet in Israel. He was known to the king, King Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Now, this was the second king, Jeroboam. You heard me read two Jeroboams, son of Jehoash, son of Nebat. Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, I'll call him Jeroboam II, or Jeroboam II, just to make it clear, and he was not a good king. He was not a good king, just like the first Jeroboam, who was years, years and years earlier. He committed sins. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It says in 2 Kings, just like the first Jeroboam. So what were these sins? What did he do? What did both of these Jeroboams do? Did not lead the people in Israel in the ways of the Lord. As a matter of fact, led them away to idolatry. Both of these kings initiated and endorsed idolatry in Israel. They also also oppressed the poor. The rich got richer, the poor got poorer. They put up pagan temples throughout the the land of Israel. So they were bad kings, they were evil. Now, despite the fact that Jeroboam II, he was an evil king, and the people were following his lead, and they were uh, steeped in idolatry, they turned their back on God. What did we read there in 2 Kings? God blessed them. It's amazing. They were evil, they weren't following the ways of the Lord, yet he blessed them. How did he bless them? Well, Jonah the prophet brought a word. Said, hey, the boundaries of Israel will be restored. The boundaries went back and forth because of wars, skirmishes, fights, battles. God said, I'm gonna restore your boundaries, and he did. And we read more, God saw the suffering of the people. Whether they were slave or free, it didn't matter and he blessed them, he preserved them because he had made the promise not to eliminate them, so he's going to preserve them. Jonah, the prophet, brought this message to Israel and he saw God's compassion even though this was a rebellious people. And then God called Jonah He called Jonah to a different people, not the people of Israel. He called them to another people who were evil and they weren't following the ways of God. And they're talked about in the book of Jonah. Now, I'm guessing many of you here are familiar with the account of Jonah in the book of Jonah. But just in case, I'll give a very brief run through of these four chapters in the book. Chapter one, God calls Jonah to preach. He'd already done that in Israel, so now God calls him to preach, preach repentance to the evil city of Nineveh because God was gonna destroy Nineveh. But Jonah, he ran. He bought a ticket for a cruise. He bought a ticket for a ship to Tarshish. And that was the, really the furthest possible place on earth that he could go from his location. And he boarded the boat, and he went into the hold, deep into the hold, and he went to sleep. And as he slept, a storm arose on the sea as the, the boat got underway. All the sailors were frightened. They were terrified. But Jonah, he was sleeping. Well, they went and they woke him up. They brought him up on deck. And Jonah confessed, the storm is my fault. And the way for you to stop the storm is to throw me overboard. Now all the sailors were terrified. They didn't want to do it. They prayed for forgiveness to Jonah's God and then they tossed him overboard and the seas calmed. Chapter two, Jonah's now in the sea and suddenly he's swallowed by a great fish. His life was ebbing away. It was dark. He couldn't see. But he remembered God. And he cried out to the Lord in prayer with a willingness to yield his life to God. He chose to praise God in the the, the lowest valley of his life. And God heard him, the same God who works all things out. The same God who's never late. He heard Jonah. And after three days, he gave him a little three day extended vacation in the belly of the fish. And the God said, Hey, fish, spit the man out. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Chapter three Jonah, now all raisin skinned and white and stinky like the inside of a fish, heard the call from God a second time. Go preach to Nineveh. So this time, Jonah, he didn't run. And I probably wouldn't either. If you had been in the the belly of a great fish for three days, you'd probably think twice. So Jonah was obedient and he went to Nineveh. And the people and the king of Nineveh heard Jonah's message. And they repented sincerely. They put on sackcloth. And they even put sackcloth on their animals. And they sat down in dust. And they repented before God. And God received their repentance. Chapter 4. Jonah, who willingly gave his life over to the Lord in the belly of the fish, because we all know, right, there's no atheists in the foxhole So he really got tuned in to God while he was in the belly of the fish and he, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna pay my vows, he said. I'm gonna do what I say. Now he's angry with God. Chapter four, Jonah's angry. So angry he wanted to die. He just had a a near-death experience, perhaps even a death experience, in the belly of the fish. But now he wants to die. He's so angry with God. Why? Because God preserved the people of Nineveh. So God wanted to teach Jonah. And he gave Jonah some shade from the scorching sun for a single day. And he taught Jonah a lesson about forgiveness and compassion. And that's the four short chapters of the book of Jonah. And I want to focus this morning on two areas because I could probably preach for a whole year on Jonah. But I want to read to you two excerpts from Jonah uh, the four chapters I'm going to read from chapter 1, three verses, and then the last verse of chapter 3, and the first two verses of chapter 4. They read this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port... After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah 3.10 through the second verse of chapter 4. When God saw what they did, and that refers to the Ninevites. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways after Jonah preached to them, God relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, what might we take away from just these portions of the account of Jonah's life? I want to focus in on these areas and see what, in today's world, we, could, we might be able to receive. Now, one has to do with responsibility. Jonah, in the opening of the book about his life here, Jonah became a man on the run, running away from God, running away from his responsibility. And what can we learn? What can we take away? One, I say, remain with your responsibility. Don't run from it. Running from a responsibility or trying to hide from a duty is going to be counterproductive. Running, it's not gonna bring you any accountability. Running from a responsibility, it's never going to absolve you from that responsibility. Trying to hide, fleeing from the situation, that's not gonna release you from your duty. It's not an excuse to relieve you from your assignment. Running and hiding from a burden that you're carrying, running away, trying to disappear, it's not gonna fix anything that's broken. It's never a solution to anything. What does it do? It produces a problem. It doesn't bring resolution. Hiding or covering things up is not an answer. Now, Jonah knew his responsibility. He was a prophet. He heard from God, and he heard God clearly. Go to Nineveh. He was an authentic prophet, known in the nation of Israel, known by the king. So he heard from the Lord. He heard clearly what God would have him to do, what his responsibility was that he had to carry out. Instead, we read, he ran. Jonah ran from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He was heading so far away as he possibly could go, and he was running hard. Now, in in the 21st century, what might we run from? What do people run from? What responsibilities do people turn tail from? And I don't mean something that might be debatable, like, oh, maybe you should do that, but a clear responsibility in life. As clearly as Jonah knew what he had to do, what are some of the responsibilities that people turn from? And we could probably sit here all day and discuss them but one, one is parenthood. Parenthood is one responsibility that many have run from, many have abdicated. We only need to look, sadly, at the number of abortions in this country. Over the last five years, about 4.5 million. Since 1973 in the US, 58 million abortions. Now that's a lot of people who are running from parenthood, women and men, because not every woman makes her decision independent of a man who's involved. Why, why do they run from parenthood? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Some, it's perhaps they're just, they're afraid of what people will think of them. They're, they're, they have a fear of shame. They shouldn't have gotten pregnant. Some some are afraid of the future and meeting the needs of a child and taking on that responsibility. Some are just plain selfish. But all are running from a responsibility. And it's not just women. According to the Pew Research Center, today in the United States, one in four children under 18 are being raised by a, a single mother without a father. That's about 15 million children a small percent a fraction about four and a half percent they're in a a single mom house because dad has died but that leaves 95 percent over 14 million kids and where is dad he's on the run he's on the run from his responsibility and people run from other responsibilities don't they people run from financial responsibilities because of out of control spending uh, they're just so compulsive spending beyond their means mounting debt becomes uh, intolerable so ignore the collection letters just throw those out maybe move change change our our address file for bankruptcy do whatever so that we don't have to we don't have to live up to that responsibility of course Marriage is another area where commitment and responsibility have been set aside. The U.S. sees about 900,000 divorces in a year. Now, 900,000 divorces, that equates to 1.8 million people, right? Because there's always two. 1.8 million. Now, oftentimes there is, in that situation, someone who's been hurt because the other has turned on their responsibility. One person has broken their vows. One person may have been an abuser or abandoned their marriage and run from their commitment and responsibility, leaving that other person hurt. And other people are on the run because they've broken a law, they've committed a crime, and they're on the run because they don't want to face the consequences. And some people, they just... Whatever it is, whatever. You could probably think of many things that people are responsible for, but they've behaved shamefully, they've behaved badly, so they just turn and run. And all this running, all this shirking of responsibility is an attempt to run from God because God has something to say about all of it. God has something to say about parenting and marriage and breaking the law and and bad behavior. God has something to say about it and to turn from those responsibilities. It's tantamount to doing what Jonah did because he knew his responsibility, he knew what it was, and he should have remained with his responsibility. But he chose to run and guess what he couldn't hide from God even though he ran and he tried to hide he couldn't hide from God you can never hide from God you can't hide from God if you think you can run far enough if you think you can go deep enough into the hold of a ship or into the basement of a building or into a cave in the middle of the earth it's not gonna happen. You will never, ever be able to hide from the eyes of God. And Jonah knew it. And though he knew it, he ran. And how did Jonah knew it? Well, Jonah knew it because he saw the suffering in Israel. And he saw the evil. And even though they had an evil king and the people had turned to idolatry and they were worshiping idols in these pagan temples, Jonah saw God's blessing on them. He knew And he saw, and yet Jonah made this attempt to hide from God. And soon what happened to him? Soon this man on the run became humbled in the belly of a great fish. See, any attempt that we make to hide from God, it's feeble, it's feeble, it's a pathetic effort to somehow try to outdo God, and it never works. It's never gonna work running, trying to hide the way that Jonah did, it, it shows us something. It highlights something about being disobedient. Because disobedience is never done in ignorance. It's not. It's not done in ignorance. Because by definition, what does disobey mean? It means to fail to obey. And that implies that we know what it is we're supposed to do. We know what we're supposed to be obedient to in the first place, as Jonah did. So Jonah couldn't claim ignorance. He couldn't say, oh God, why did you put me in the belly of this great fish? I didn't know I was going the wrong way on the boat. Of course he knew he was going the wrong way. He was deliberately going against God. And what does that do when we deliberately turn our backs and disobey? It separates us from God's grace. On Wednesday, we we heard a little bit about God's grace. Noah Allen was talking to us about freedom in Christ the day before we celebrated our country's independence, and we heard about freedom in Christ. And this, we heard, freedom in Christ does not equate or give us the license to indulge in works of the flesh or to indulge in pleasures of this life that are ungodly. And Noah used Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia to explain to us. See, Paul wrote in that fifth chapter of the letter to the Galatian churches that Jesus frees us from a burden of slavery. And what is that burden? It's a burden that we put upon ourselves, it's a weight that uh, we feel when we attempt to earn righteousness in the sight of God by following certain rules. And when we try to earn righteousness in the sight of God, it alienates us, it separates us from the sacrifice that Jesus made by giving his life to free us from sin. And that pushes us away. It alienates us from God's grace. The essence of the words of the apostle there in the New Testament are embrace the grace. But embracing the grace does not open the door to behave any way that we want to. Embracing the grace also means embracing obedience. The apostle wrote to the Galatians Don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge your base physical desires. Don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge works of the flesh. And then he wrote this. This is Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's parallel this with Jonah. He knew what God asked, and he knowingly disobeyed. Now, likewise, We can't claim ignorance and disobey what I just read, what the apostle in the New Testament wrote. If I call myself a Christian, but I get up in the morning and I go to the office and it's every man for himself and I'm gonna cut a corner to get a contract or I'm gonna step on my colleague so I can beat him out so I can get some commission and he doesn't, what am I doing? Well, let me read what the apostle wrote. I think that's under the line of selfish ambition. Or, or perhaps I just uh, go on the internet and watch whatever I want to watch. Well, I mean, that's also in this list. That's, that could be idolatry. That can be envy. If you say you're a Christian and then you have a, you know, a jealous fit over a, an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, if you envy, if you covet, something that doesn't belong to you. Paul's list here, it's very plain. It's plainly stated. Now we know when we disobey these things. And when we do, we might even try to hide it. Perhaps we we try to hide it to the people at the office or, or, or the students in school, our classmates. We might even try to hide it from our family. But... You can't claim you don't know it's wrong. You can't cry ignorance. And you're never, ever going to hide it from God. His word says this in the book of Hebrews chapter four. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We can't hide it. We can't hide our failings. We can't hide our sin from God. And all this sounds, it sounds heavy, doesn't it? Where's the good news? There is good news. There is good news. God sees all, yes. But God's not looking down on you and he's not looking to nitpick your every single fault and say oh you sinned here and you missed the mark there and I'm going to send a bolt bolt of lightning your way to get you or I'm going to send a great fish to swallow you every time you fail. And that didn't happen in Jonah's life. It happened one time. God's not out to get you. No, God is a God of compassion. He's not a God of calamity. And that's what we read. That's what we read in God's word. This is where Job got all mixed up. Job, the guy we talked about for the last five weeks, this is where he got in trouble because he accused God about all the suffering he was experiencing. He said, God, you're arbitrary, you just send calamity into people's lives. Job had been commended by God for his righteousness and walking upright and fearing God and shunning evil, yet he experienced suffering beyond anything we would wish upon uh, our enemies. But he learned through it. He learned through it that God was speaking even through this experience in the pain. And he discovered through his ordeal that God refines, that God purifies, that God hones, Those whom he loves and he teaches them even in times of trouble and he learned Job learned that truly God is a God of compassion now the irony of Jonah's situation is that Jonah already knew that Jonah knew it when he made his attempt to run and he admitted it when Jonah sat down after he had preached to Nineveh He waited, and he was waiting for some fireworks. He wanted to see fire fall from heaven and consume the city. He wanted to see massive destruction on the the same scale as Sodom and Gomorrah, that God would just send destruction to this city. That's what Jonah was waiting for. He sat down, and, and he wanted to see the wrath of God poured out like a searing blast a fire on these wicked people from Nineveh. And he sat, and he waited, and nothing happened. And Jonah was furious, and he prayed to God, the prayer we read, his angry prayer. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by running away, by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew it. I knew that you're a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Well, that's quite an admission, isn't it? Jonah knew it all along. See, Jonah saw how God had kept his word to his own people. Even though they were wicked and idolatrous, God was preserving them. God was blessing them through the hand of an evil king, Jeroboam II. Jonah knew from the jump, from the start, God is gracious and compassionate, and he admitted it in his angry prayer. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that? Think, if you've been here for the past number of weeks, and and we talked about Job Uh, Job was a little angry with God. You know, God, you send all this calamity on people and they don't deserve it and I don't deserve it. We can kind of relate to a prayer like that sometimes. But here's Jonah in his angry prayer. Oh, I knew it, God. I knew you were compassionate. Oh, I I knew you were loving. I know you're slow to anger, you nasty God. You're slow to anger and you abound in love. Who prays a prayer like that? I mean, that is really kind of twisted, isn't it? I knew you're a God who relents from sending calamity. So I didn't want to do your bidding. I guess Jonah wanted to work for for an evil God. He knew God was compassionate before he ran. He knew before he suffered the consequences of running by being swallowed up by this great fish He had experienced God's compassion. He experienced it when the fish spit him out. I mean, the fish didn't keep him along and, you know, send him through the whole digestive system, right? The fish spit him out. So Jonah, he himself experienced the compassion of God. He breathed to see another day. He knew God's compassion. And he knew God wouldn't send calamity on the repentant. I and Jonah repented in the belly of the fish. Now here, these Ninevites had repented, and they had repented sincerely after they had fasted, and they had mourned before the Lord, and they put on sackcloth, they even put the sackcloth on their animals. and then all these people covered in burlap, they sit down in dust. And the word of God says they turned from their wicked ways. God saw their repentance. God received their repentance. And God showed them grace and compassion. And Jonah needed to learn to embrace God's grace. And sometimes we do too. Man, we might feel God's out to get us. And even if you're upset, and even if you're angry, Pray that prayer of Jonah, but don't pray it angry. Now, change the attitude. God, I know, I know. You are a God of compassion. God, you are slow to anger. You abound in love, and you relent from sending calamity. And you pray that sincerely, God is a God of compassion, not calamity. And we have so much more than Jonah did because we live with Jesus. We live post the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to free us from having to follow rules based based on uh, earning us righteousness. You know, a rules-based system that we could never, ever, ever have done perfectly. And that was why Jesus came in the first place. And now, if we've received that, if we've received that grace of Jesus, and then we do indulge in the flesh, or we reject our responsibility instead of remaining with it, and we go on the run, it's not a solution. We can't hide from God. We have the solution. You know the solution. His name's Jesus. God gave us a great way to to experience his grace by coming to him and receiving with sincere, repentant hearts.